Chapter 35, Visions of the City of New Jerusalem. And it shall be called the New Jerusalem, a land of peace, a city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God, and the glory of the Lord shall be there, and the terror of the Lord shall also shall be there, inasmuch as the wicked will not come into it, and shall be called... And it shall be called Zion. Doctrine and Covenants 45, 66-67 Several people have had visions of the city of New Jerusalem, and I am but one of them. We will share more stories of others' visions with you at a later time, but for now I would like to share my vision with you, as well as the vision of a young man who fulfills the prophecy. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see the visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It was years ago that I had this nighttime vision, and in it, a wonderful angel guide took me to the holy city of the New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is likened to the appearance of the multiple ripples and wavelets going out from where a stone has been thrown into a glassy waters of a pond. The plan view from the heavens should look like a would look like concentric rings that extend outward from the central core of the temple complex. The first and most bright and glorious of the 25 temples that comprise the temple city is the center building. It appeared to be, to me to be a massive teardrop-shaped holy of holies that serves several functions. It is the abiding place of the Lord during his 1,000-year terrestrial reign in utter glory, while at the same time functioning as an amazing central command station with administrative rooms that are easily accessible to the master and his many right-hand assistants. It also has other functions, of which I have not yet been made aware. The first two concentric rings consist of patriarchal priesthood temples, each of which are to be custom-built by distinguished members of each of the twelve tribes of Israel, with artisans that are blood and adoptive descendants that pertain to each distinct tribe. The double temple facing east has been reserved for master artisans of the tribe of Ephraim because of their sacred role in the end-time events that pertain to the two segments of the dispensation of the fullness of times. The second ring will consist of the direct, equal, and corresponding temples of the matrons of the priestesshood, about which very little has been revealed thus far. Exquisitely magnificent arches, which are beyond anything the celestial architects have ever imagined, connect the temples of the outer rings with the temple in the center. A marvelous transparent force-filled canopy, made of energy-like materials that we are far from being able to understand at this time, connect the temple city from archway to archway, as if to create a climate-controlled enclosed temple complex, which essentially made the various encircling rings of twelve temples appear. each appear to be mere components of the great Holy of Holies in the center. This transparent force field of energy material is far more superb and thrilling than all of the force fields from all of the sci-fi films put together in the sum of just one. In each of my visionary experiences, my angel guide is always one to two paces behind my left shoulder for reasons that I do not yet fully understand. It is contrary to the guidelines and laws of heaven for an angel guide to stand in a position that may distract or divert the attention of the one being guided from the things that he or she is specifically being taken to shown. I hope to one day understand why. My angel guide took me first to what I call the engineering and architecture room for the central portion of the holy city. Upon our arrival at each distinct destination, I always ask, what is the meaning of which of that which I am now beholding? In less than a second, the full response to my questions in glorious detail are always relayed back to me th- through the backlift portion of my cerebrum in a form of communication that I call light mind 
or oh that I call light mind to light mind, which is far beyond what earthlings call telepathy. On top of a large rectangular table was a stack of what we call blueprints that were not blue. They were left open to my view, and it was quite impressively intricate and fascinatingly futuristic, especially for me, because I come from a long lifetime of careers in the fields of comparatively archaic and nathandralistic modern construction methods. Next, my angel guide took me to a place where we were suspended out in thin air from a vantage point just outside the upper levels of the central temple, which I came to view as the home of the master. Amazingly enough, this time I didn't even need to request an explanation from my angel guide regarding what I was seeing with my own eyes. To my utter astonishment, I was simultaneously looking up across and downward at an exterior roof line that was more elegant and magnificent than anything I could have imagined as a contractor. Somehow, I was granted the capacity to understand, to a limited degree, what it was that I was looking at without having to ask specific questions. The portion of the building that I was viewing seemed to be formed in the shape of a Hershey's chocolate kiss, in that it is larger at the base, then curves upward slightly until it begins to shift more dramatically as it curves heavenward until it culminates in a glorious spire at the center of the very top peak. There was not one single solitary place in the construction that I witnessed that was straight at all, nor was there a single 90-degree angle, nor was there a single sharp angle of any sort or type. The roof itself was entirely seamless in its construction. I believe that the roof, as well as other portions of the building, was comprised of materials we that actually really do exist somewhere in or on this planet, and that angels have been personally bringing those materials from places on, above, or below the surface of the earth. It was fireproof, ultraviolet lightproof, earthquake-proof, waterproof, pest-proof, and amazingly enough, even thermonuclear weapon-proof. The monolithic surface of the roof seemed to be electrically alive in that it shimmered and glowed as if from its own internal source of light and energy. It was, in every aspect perfectly orchestrated engineering all wrapped up into one single piece of heavenly artistry i was already awestruck by all of this when i noticed that there was an atrium opening up from an inner courtyard that spilled out onto the roof area with gloriously shaped parapet walls that are beyond my ability to describe it is beyond my comprehension how god bless blends an interior space with an exterior opening several stories above the ground level so smoothly and graciously so as to make the transitions nearly unnoticeable. Glorious trees, terrestrial shrubbery, and exquisite vine-like plants unlike anything I've ever seen before were growing up out, no, out of the open veranda in such a fashion so as to go out and onto the roof of the building itself, which caused this glorious flora to artistically interpret the gorgeous skyline itself all the while protruding from what is what at first seemed to be nothing more than a simple curving monolithic roof line that was always curving upward at varying angles and still there was not one single sharp angle or straight line not even one it was totally astounding and breathtakingly beautiful in time there will be multiple Zion cities throughout the world, but in the beginning, to a large extent, we will be bringing those individuals or groups back to the, one of the outermost rings that comprise the furthest suburbs of the holy city of the New Jerusalem. Many of the saints throughout the world were passing on 
through death to strengthen or reinforce the battalions of the forces that were championing our cause from the paradise side of the veil that separates these two dimensions. In many ways, it simply was not appropriate for them to remain behind and be tested with burdens that were too morbid and too great for them to bear. Remaining behind for the full extent of the tribulation was not part of their calling. They were keenly aware that our need for them was real, and we called upon them constantly to come to our aid, and come they did. They did so many things for us that we could not do for ourselves during the days of tribulation. Blessed be their names. In most cases, it was direct blood relatives that were volunteering or being assigned to aid us through the final day vortex. Those of us left behind in the United States were few. We were the extreme minority, and we saints were both LDS and non-LDS alike. For those translated beings who have volunteered to serve on this earth until the end of time, they will perfect the art of utilizing their own personal portals to transit time and space in the performance of assignments that come directly from the Lord. They will be appearing in all parts of the globe, rescuing both individuals and or entire groups of souls that somehow have leanings toward the penetrating light of Christ, which is the core of all goodness, hope, and meaningful living. As rapidly as they transport themselves out, sometimes in lightning quickness, they transport themselves back to specific destinations per divine instructions given to them. All of this transpires in the midst of the world that has given itself over to the darkness of the power of Lucifer and his armies. Outside of Zion, anarchy, ruin, and total chaos will rule the world that literally comes apart at every imaginable seam. The gatherers are only able to bring them to an outer ring that is congruent and or compatible with their particular level of spiritual growth at the time that they first arrive. To a certain extent, placement of the new arrivals is based upon their personal frequency and their level of teachability. Extremely capable teachers, missionaries, and emissaries come out of the holy city into outer circles and suburbs each and every day to bring as many as are willing to and able to move from one point of progression to another. That is becoming closer increasing to the point at which they will be justified and sanctified enough to actually be permitted to enter the city itself. To my astonishment, occasionally there are those that actually regress as they begin to rebel and withdraw themselves from principles of holiness and rectitude that clash just a little too much with the ideologies and false traditions from the cultures in which they were raised. A few of them even go right back out into the war of the world, taking with them personal testimonies to others of the world of the terribleness of Zion against which nothing can stand. At the time of this vision, I was younger and not very seasoned. So when the temple vision ended, I just stared at a white wall while I tried to assimilate so much into my system. So distracted was I with my feeble attempts to understand and retain so much material that was light years beyond my normal field of comprehension that I neglected to pause long enough to give thanks and show gratitude for the gifts that had just been given to me so freely. And that exposed me in many ways to portions of my future missions. There is no place for anything at these higher levels of existence other than childlike humility, so I have been repenting and becoming more and more committed to always remembering to pause afterwards to express my deeply felt gratitude. Expressing proper gratitude increases the frequency of glorious and educational guided tours. Failure to express proper gratitude does exactly the opposite. It decreases both the frequency as well as the magnitude of glorious adventures that so much speak to my to me and my soul and to whom i always have always really been
So now that I have shared my story, I will move on to share that of a young man. At the time of this writing, he is a mere 10 years old. He has had this vision three times. It came to him once per year for three years. He is the son of one of the contributors of this book. This account is also written in her memoir, but is shared here anonymously with her permission and is told in different phrasing at her request. As he slept, he was shown the city of New Jerusalem. In the center of this vast dwelling was a beautiful white temple, which had a center spire taller than anything he had ever seen. Around the center temple were twelve smaller temples, which were designed by and for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were other temples around those, and each had its own special work to do. The temples were all connected to each other via specialized tunnels or portals, and your ability to travel inward was based upon your holiness and obedience to the Lord. He exited the temple and could see his mother, who by now had become a translated being and was one of the members of the 144,000, as well as her mentoring companion. Both she and her companion wore perfect white lace-accented robes. It was very dark, but he could see that they were looking toward the night sky. He heard thunder and then also turned to look. He saw a large red face in the sky, and he knew it was Satan. The adversary's face was very visible among the stars. His mother's companion read a passage from the Book of Mormon, and as various calamities began and a great army of dark evil descended, she threw her scriptures to the ground in a call to arms for the sentinels of God. As the last great battle commenced, of which we already know the victor, he awoke.